have a Resurrection Sunday message instead. And not instead, because uh, really everything that is in here is in some way connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we could have uh, continued on in the book of Revelation if we wanted to, because I guess this uh, microphone is enough. Because everything that uh, is talked about Because everything, I don't, I don't know if it's on or not. <coughs> how, how about now? You got it now? All right, it's working. All right. So everything that's in here has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't have a future kingdom if Christ hadn't have walked out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. We wouldn't have salvation if Christ hadn't walked out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. We wouldn't be here uh, today or any other Sunday if Christ hadn't walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago. So kind of since becoming a Christian uh, about 30 years ago or so, I've kind of always wondered about the Easter, quote-unquote, Easter holiday and why, why we really celebrate it as a separate day. Uh, Christians, in fact, didn't start celebrating Easter as a holiday until around 200 years after Christ uh, walked out of the grave. And that seems, for us today, that seems kind of hard to believe, but that's almost the entire length of the history of the United States uh, going back to the time when Christ actually rose from the dead until we celebrated it as a separate special holiday on a, on a given Sunday. And the reason for that is, I think is kind of obvious, is because we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. That's why we come to church uh, on the day that we do the first day of the week, Sunday. Uh, because the fact of the matter is that a, it is a fact of history that a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, uh, walked out of the grave having been crucified and dead for three days, arose from the dead. Uh, proving that everything he said and did was true and proving who he is is a fact. Now, make no mistake, I love Easter. Uh, as a kid, uh, it was probably one of my favorite days of the year. We would always go to my uncle's house. We had an Easter egg hunt. All of our family was there. It was fantastic. I love, I love uh, Easter. And as our country uh, devolves further and further uh, away from our founding and heritage, I think it does become more important to celebrate days like Easter as it becomes very obvious that uh, we are Christians. We are people who trust in Christ and have uh, received salvation on the basis of that. Uh, as we live and, and uh, move around in, a, in an ever more 
pagan world, it becomes more and more important to uh, recognize these things. So most of us, of course, are very familiar with the entire narrative of the life of Christ and, and his, his resurrection. He was, he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He lived a perfect life. He performed incredible miracles. Uh, he fulfilled all of these prophecies that are in the Old Testament about who he would be and healing and all of these kinds of various things. And he did all of this uh, to show, primarily to show the nation of Israel that he is the one who was promised to them. That's why he came into the world and lived the way that he did and, and fulfilled all of these things from the Old Testament. And in fact, one day, uh, it was last week on our calendar, he came into Jerusalem proclaiming to be their Messiah, proclaiming to be the one who would save them. And they wanted, uh, and they accepted him initially, thinking that, okay, the revolution is starting. Now we're going to overthrow these Romans and we're going to install this Jesus as our king. And now we're going to be the ones in charge. They wanted, a, they wanted a savior from their circumstance rather than a savior from their sin. It became very obvious that Jesus wasn't coming the first time to establish himself as their king. He was coming to solve their real problem, which was a problem of sin. And they didn't want that. The, the Jewish people, the Israelite people thought, oh, we, no, we've got the sin thing all figured out. Uh, we're very religious. Uh, we go to synagogue. We do all of all of the things that are necessary for in our set of rules to be right with God. And so we don't want you. And at the end of the week, of course, they ended up crucifying him as a heretic. And so they rejected him uh, largely, I think, because of the leadership of the nation rejected him. And, and so he went to the cross, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's what we talked about in Sunday school this morning for a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that all, of these, hap all these things happen according to the Scriptures. Christ, in Luke 24, went with the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and explained the the book of Moses, uh, the books of Moses and the prophets showing the things that were in there about him and about his life, that he had fulfilled the scriptures according to uh, his life. His death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled the scriptures. This isn't just uh, uh, an event that we are celebrating. This is the event that we are celebrating. So I thought for today we could look at some of these scriptures. What are, what are some of the things that Jesus might have pointed out to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? And there really, uh, there is a comprehensive book of the Bible where we can find all of the things that we need to know about salvation and how to have it. Because ultimately, that's what, that's what we're celebrating today. We aren't just celebrating an event that one day this really great guy rose from the dead, and that's worth celebrating. This isn't uh, Independence Day, for example. 
That's, uh, have you noticed that, that even Independence Day is becoming a, a quote-unquote holiday? Holiday is, uh, is kind of is short for holy day. This is a holy day. Independence Day, as great as it is, I love America, as everybody, as you all know, uh, but that's just celebrating an event, our, the declaration of our independence from England. That's an important thing, but that doesn't save us. That doesn't give us eternal life. What we are celebrating today is the event that allows us to have eternal life with God. And that makes it much more significant than, uh, than really any other day, any other celebration. And the book of Psalms is a place that, re- that really uh, quantifies all of this for us. And it's, I've said it oftentimes that the, the, you can find salvation in the book of Psalms Salvation, not by keeping a set of rules, not by making sure you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, but rather by believing, by trusting in God and His provision for our sin. And we'll see that the the entirety of the life and death of Christ is contained in the book of Psalms. And that really is what Easter or Resurrection Sunday is really all about. The fact that we have salvation through what Christ has done for us. So first we have to uh, understand that we have a problem in this world, uh, and that's very clearly laid out for us in in, uh, the book of Psalms. And that God has given us a provision because of our problem. It's not his problem. It's our problem. He has provided for it through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is talked about in the book of Psalms. And this death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is, is the most tremendous truth that has ever been uh, given to men. And it's true that this uh, this. This event is significant, but we're not just celebrating the event. That's what I want to get across to us today. Uh, We're not just celebrating that Jesus is better than the alternatives, if you will. That uh, it's this past week, both all three of the, the world's great religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, kind of uh, unique that this year, the Muslim holidays are falling at the same time as Passover and Easter and Passover are always at the same times. But Islam is there too. That's part of the reason why there's a lot of uh, things going on in the nation of Israel, if you will. But we are not celebrating that Jesus is better than Muhammad. While that is true, we are celebrating the fact that we have eternal life through faith in the Son of God. Jesus isn't just a a better person than Mohammed was, or he isn't just better than uh, uh, Pharisaical Judaism. He is the Son of God. He is actually the Creator God who came into this world and died for us. And we have eternal life through what he did on this day uh, 2,000 years years ago. So we, we person, you have to personalize this event. You have to make it 
part of who you are or you will be lost in your sin. And so we need to understand this problem that we have before we can possess it. And if ever there was a person who makes our problem very clear, it is the person of David. Psalm 51 lays out our problem that we have in this world, and it is the problem of sin. And this is going to be an exercise in turning in your Bible. Uh, Feel free to just listen if you want. It's not a bad thing to find all these references, but there there are going to be a lot of references for us. Uh, We have a problem in this world, and David lays it out for us. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 5 says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. You know, this is written, it even tells us uh, in the beginning there, before the verse begins, it says that this was written by David after he was confronted by Nathan, after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And you know, I, I take Psalm 51 and many other places in the Bible that are, that are like this as more evidence for the veracity of the scriptures. You know, if I had written the Bible, I wouldn't have included this. I, we would just dump David and Bathsheba down the memory hole, kind of like they do in the mainstream media. Oh, we don't want to talk about that anymore. We need to sweep that under the rug. Uh, however, Psalm 51 and the story of David, the, not a story, the narrative of these events that happened in David's life are so very, very important for us. And, and it's here for our good to show us what true repentance is, a true change of mind about sin and, and what it is and the importance, the very nature of sin is brought forth in David's life and how destructive it can be to us and how to have your relationship restored with others and with God. That's why these things are in the Bible and we kind of we sweep them under the rug to our to our own detriment. But we we have as I've already given you the answer what the what the problem is. The problem is sin. And that that uh again is not just something that that is there because we sin. There's a reason why it's a problem and the reason is that God created the world. That is a theme that is throughout Uh, throughout the Psalms, really, uh, that describes that God is the creator. And we kind of, we get rid of that doctrine uh, to our own detriment as well, because everything that is going on in this world and the, the, what God is doing in this world is because he's the creator, because he created this world, 
and therefore we are responsible to him. And that's why kind of the skeptics and, and atheists will go right to Genesis chapter 1 and start chipping away at that until we're at the point where we are today that you're just some kind of a lunatic if you believe that God created the world in six literal days, uh, a, no, a number of thousands of years ago, not millions and millions or billions of years ago, but uh, a, a relatively short period of time ago in six days, like it describes in Genesis chapter 1. And we, we disregard that to our own detriment. The fact of the matter is that God created the world. It's very clear in the book of Psalms. Psalm 8, for example, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. It kind of sounds like a song even when you read it, because that's what it is. It is, these are songs. Verse 2, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful Cease. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There we have the the creation narrative and the purpose for creation, the purpose for God creating man all in one psalm, kind of a, a song or a poem about the fact that God created the world and he created man to rule over it. And uh, this isn't the only place that we go in the book of Psalms to see this. God created the world and he created us, humanity, to rule over it. Psalm 19 and verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his Hands, the very heavens tell us, show us, creation shows us that, that something happened here. This didn't just happen by itself. Somebody created this. Verse 2, day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. See, but it's limited. Did you notice that? Yes, it's there, Creation is there for us. It's incredible. Its splendor is amazing. It could not possibly have happened by chance. However, nor are their words, their voice is not heard. It doesn't penetrate completely. We need something else, in other words. Verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other one of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Uh, That's something else, incidentally, that we need uh, besides just the heavens is special revelation. We need God's word to, 
to completely declare these things to us. But nevertheless, the book of Psalms is very clear that God created this world and he created people to live in it and in fact to rule over it, as is stated in Psalm 8. Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. We give up on Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 to our detriment. It is the foundation of everything that we believe. God created the world. He created it very good. He created us to live in it and to rule and reign over it. And furthermore, God is holy. By definition, he is holy. Uh, He is separated uh, from us. This is the theme. This is a theme throughout the Bible. That's what it means to be holy. Holy and righteousness uh, are often confused, but they are two different words and and two different uh, definitions of the words. God is holy because he is separate from his creation. He is separated from us. And however, he's also in the creation. That's uh, part of uh, theology that we won't go too far into today. But nevertheless, God is holy. Psalm 50 and verse 6, And the heavens declare his righteousness for himself, for God himself is judge. Yes, he is righteous and he is holy. He is without sin and he is separate from us. He is different than we, than we are. He is the creator and we are the creature. Psalm 97 and verse 1 says, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples have seen his glory. God is holy. He, he reigns over uh, this, his universe, his creation. He is separate from it because he created it. And he's also righteous and without sin. Psalm 99, verse 1, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is exalted above all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. God created the world. He is holy. He rules over it. He is the judge of it. And we're here. (laughs) <laughs> that's the problem. He did create, it, create us. He created us to be very good. But when he created us, he created us in his image, it says in Genesis chapter 1. And the, the main part of the image, the main idea that comes away from that is that we are thinking beings able to make decisions. He didn't want to just make a bunch of robots 
who go around and, and do as he commands. Uh, no, he, he made us thinking creatures. And that will bring him more glory in the end because we are his representatives on this earth. That brings him more glory. If he can accomplish his will through us, that shows not our greatness, but his greatness. Uh, but at any rate, we also have the, with a free will, with, a, with the ability to think and make decisions, we have the ability to think and make decisions that are bad and wrong. And that's what we do. That's what we all do. So while God is holy and righteous and just as the creator, we are not. And that is our problem. We are sinful and rebellious and do wrong things in his presence. Even though we are created, humanity, human beings, each and every one of us, you, me, and everyone who's ever lived is created for the express purpose of living with God forever. That's how he created Adam and Eve. He created them to live with him forever, but they sinned. God didn't have anything to do with that. They did it. We do it. God doesn't force us to sin. We do it of our own volition. And that has consequences. That is a problem for us. Psalm 51, 4, Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. God is blameless when he judges us for our, for our sins. He didn't do it. We did. He is the one who is holy, righteous creator, able to judge us. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Psalm 53 and verse one says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have committed abominable injustice. There is no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. See, the problem is that we, his creation, God's creation, are sinful. We are not righteous. We are not holy. We're not separate. On our own. There is nothing that I can do to make myself holy uh, for God. That is, or righteous in his sight. That, that is complete blasphemy. That's why the New Testament makes very, very clear over and over again that salvation is by grace through faith and not of works, because it is, it is insane for us to think that we can do enough good works to attain to God's level of righteousness, God's level of separateness, if you will. And so while he created us to live with him forever, that is his desire for us, for all of us to live with him forever in fellowship. And we cannot accomplish this on our own. Something had to happen for us to make this clear. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that each and every one of us knows this. In our heart of hearts, we know that, that there is something after this life. We know that eternity exists. It's in our very hearts. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that. He 
created us that way. He created us with that innate understanding that there's something else going on here. There's more to life than just this. Thank God for that, that this isn't it. That would be a very sad situation. And that's why the, uh, the nihilists and these kinds of people that uh, don't believe in God oftentimes are desperate in despair and end up killing themselves, like Nietzsche, for example. He kills himself because he, he thinks this is it, and this is pretty awful. There's nothing else in the world. Well, the scriptures tell us that there is something else in this world. But we have this problem. We are sinful. God is not. We, we are created to live with him forever, but in our current human state, we can't do that. We have a real problem. From birth, it says there in Psalm 51, from, ver- from our very birth, we are separated from God because we are conceived in sin. Uh, Romans 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, makes that very clear. Jewish people separated from God because of their sin. Gentile people separated from God because of their sin. That's everybody. Everybody is sinful. Everybody has this problem that God created us. He wants us to live with him forever. We will live forever. It's just a question of where that's going to be, how the, what our experience is going to be. So we all have this problem. It's passed on to us through Adam, according to Romans 5.12. Just being descendants of Adam uh, gives us this problem. But God has provided for us. He has given us the provision, and that is alluded to in Psalm 22. Our uh, call to worship this morning was from Psalm 22, and it's, it is a very uh, explicit description of crucifixion written about a thousand years before it actually happened to Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, verse 14 says, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, keep in mind, we in the 21st century are familiar with the process of crucifixion. Uh, According to scholars, uh, David, when he is writing this uh, psalm, people, it was not a normal thing or a regular thing or even a thing that he probably would have seen someone being crucified. This was uh, invented by the Assyrians. This uh, form of torture and execution was invented by the Assyrians. The Romans took it up uh, later when they came to prominence as a good way to deal with their uh, criminal element. David, however, he had never seen that kind of thing take place, but yet he describes it with uh, very precise detail here And in fact, the crucifixion that would take place of Jesus Christ being his hands and feet being pierced and 
as we will see some other details revealed in other psalms about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God, through this crucifixion, is providing for us. Psalm uh, 22, verses 1 through 18, uh, describe in more detail than just verse 14, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I'm sure you're familiar with Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Is what Christ quotes on the cross. It's as if David is describing the crucifixion in Psalm 22. We see that in Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew, describing Christ's resurrection, Matthew 27, verses 38 through 46, describe the same way that David wrote about it a thousand years before it happened. We see this being fulfilled. Uh, And I have the wrong reference. No, I'm just on the wrong page. Never mind. (laughs) the crucifixion of Jesus, Matthew 27, begin in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. We read that in Psalm 22. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him. And above his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling insults at him, wagging their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. Very much like Psalm 22. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him, come, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him uh, were also insulting him with the same words. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. Psalm 22 describes this darkness coming. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sab." Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. Obviously, they don't know their Bibles. They're not familiar with Psalm 22. Immediately, one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Very clearly uh, describing what happened to Christ on the cross in this psalm a thousand years ago. Psalm 34 and verse 20 says that no bone of his will be broken. That's precisely what happened 
uh, with the crucifixion of Christ. You're familiar. John 19, 36 says that when they came to Jesus, they pierced him with a spear to make sure he was dead, to uh, kind of finish off people on the cross. If they wanted him to die sooner, they would break their legs so they couldn't hold themselves up and continue to breathe. They break their legs and they'll just suffocate. Jesus was already dead when they came. They did not break any of his bones, as was prophesied in Psalm 34 and verse 20. And when Jesus died, uh, it says there in Matthew that they were giving him the sour wine to drink. John says in John 19.30, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. There, the provision that was prophesied about in Psalm 22 and 34 and Psalm 18 and other places in the Psalms that the Messiah was going to die, he accomplished what he came to do. It is finished. He had paid the complete price for the sins of the world. That darkness that came on uh, the face of the earth uh, was the time in which Jesus Christ the Son of God, eternal Son of God, who has always existed, came out of eternity, lived as a human, born of a virgin, uh, for the express purpose of suffering and dying on the cross for our sins. He took the entire sin burden of the world and all of eternity upon himself on that cross. And I believe at that moment in time when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is when he is bearing the burden of sin. A good uh, example for us in that while we are going through trials, uh, we ought to be quoting scripture like Christ did, remembering scripture and calling it to mind, knowing that God is with us and uh, we are accomplishing his will if we're walking according uh, to his word. Just exactly what Christ was doing there. But not only is his death and the kind of death that he was going to suffer prophesied in the Psalms, but it's also prophesied that he would rise from the dead. In Psalm 16, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever, it says in Psalm 16. Now, many of these Psalms, of course, Psalm 16 being no exception, are written by David. Uh, Many, many of them are. And so while they do describe Uh, events of his life, they are also describing events that will take place in the future uh, in his descendants, in one of his descendants, the Savior, the Messiah, because after all, 2 Samuel 7, David was promised to be uh, kind of the head of the family where the Messiah would come from, if you will. And so when he writes some of these Psalms, Uh, I'm not sure what was going on in his mind if he thought, oh, I'm writing about the Messiah now. I don't know if he thought that, but in many of the Psalms, he actually was. He was 
writing prophecy about things that the, that the Savior, the Messiah, would accomplish. And one of those is, is found in Psalm 16. Uh, Stephen, I believe it is, even makes reference to the fact that, uh, David, we can go to his grave. David's grave is in uh, Israel. You can go there and you can see it. You can't go to the grave of Christ and see bones there. He's not there. He's different. He did not undergo decay like uh, David did. As is stated in Psalm 16:10, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay, showing that the Messiah, while he will, he will die, he will also rise again. And that's precisely what happened we see in the life of Christ that you're familiar with. The reason why we are celebrating today is that Jesus did this. Uh, John chapter 20 and verse 1. Now it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, which is John, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth. And they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. They hadn't put all of the pieces together yet. They hadn't remembered Psalm sixteen ten that says the Holy One will not undergo decay. And so we have this problem that we're sinners, but God has provided, His provision is that we can be made right with Him, that He paid for the sins of the world. And in fact, he, His desire is for us to live with Him forever. Psalm 17, 15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. In other words, I, I may die, but someday I'm going to awake and I'm going to be with you forever. Psalm 22 and verse 26, The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. That's what we're learning about in Revelation 20, the future thousand-year kingdom when Christ will literally rule over all the nations. Verse 29 of Psalm 22. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow down before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. 
Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. We have the opportunity to live with God forever. If there's a single condition concerning this provision, this provision of Christ dying for our sins and rising again from the dead as shown in the Psalms. And there's a very simple way for us to possess it that is stated over and over and over again in the Psalms in particular, Psalm 27 being one of those places. Notice what it says, Psalm 27 in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. We receive this provision we possess this provision by one single condition, and it is believing or trusting in what God has done for us. And we, we find this, again, this is just a, a very small sampling of the number of psalms that discuss this. Uh, Psalm 3 says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Salvation comes to us by believing, by calling on the Lord. Psalm 23, one that we are uh, familiar with, the Lord is my shepherd. You notice these uh, the, the phraseology here, it's not, okay, the Lord is God, he's holy, and so now I have to do a bunch of good stuff in order to impress him. And if I do enough good stuff, then maybe he'll uh, bless me. Maybe he'll let me in. No, of course, that is not, that is not how it's done. Psalm 27 in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? A lot of, a lot of times these, these psalms are geared towards our daily life when we're going through the trials of life. Uh, yes, we can go to this and see that the Lord is, is with us. He's, he's defending us. He's conforming us to his image, perhaps through these trials. If we would just 
uh, see that. But spiritually speaking, the Lord is our salvation. He is the one who has accomplished it all. He has provided it for us. We possess it simply by believing in him. Psalm 28, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, for if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. If God doesn't answer us when we call to him for salvation, we go down to the pit, according to Psalm 28. There is nothing that we can do to earn God's favor. He has already done everything for us. It is finished, he said on the cross. We simply possess it by trusting in what he has done for us. Psalm 62 and verse 1, my soul waits in silence for God only. My soul waits in silence for God only. I don't have to say a certain number of prayers I I don't have to do a certain number of things. I am waiting in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Uh, Again, Psalm 62, 5. My soul wait in silence for God only. He's kind of admonishing himself to make sure that's what you're doing. Make sure that's how you are gaining this provision is by you in silence, you not doing anything, you simply trusting in what God has already done for you. Verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken On God, my salvation and my glory rest. Verse 7, the rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And God wants us to live with him forever. That's why he walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago. He, yes, he showed that he was God, that he is God, that he had accomplished everything that he wanted to. And he's demonstrating to us that he has conquered even death. All of the consequences of sin are provided for in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why he performed the miracles that he did. He showed that he has power over disease. He has power over Uh, paralysis and all of these uh, things that afflict us in this life, Christ has dominion over all of that. And, And his miracles show that he could bring in the kingdom to the nation of Israel. I can provide food for you. I can provide health for you. I can provide everything for you if you will just simply believe in me. And uh, it's, it goes so much beyond just a thousand-year literal kingdom on the earth. As important as that is, it goes beyond that because it goes into eternity. God wants us to be with him forever. Second Corinthians 5.20, Paul says this is, this is his message, essentially. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. 
That ought to, that ought to wake us up. <laughs> we are, as a believer, we, you, me, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. How are we doing representing God? He's making his appeal through us, uh, whether we like it or not. And so we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him because he wants us to live with him forever. You ever wonder why it's taking God so long to take us out of this world? Yeah. Uh, would you just rapture us and get this over with? I, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, that's, a, that's a wrong line of, of thinking. We ought to wake up every day praising the Lord that we have another day to live for him. And there's another opportunity for somebody else to get saved. I guarantee that every saved person in this room knows people who aren't saved. Uh, they might be your family. They might be the closest people in your life to you. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that the rapture, God's representatives for a period of time are going to be gone from this earth. Uh, and so we ought to take the time that we have. We ought to be grateful for the time that we have, that God is long-suffering. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants all people to live with him forever. That's why he created us. He created us to live with him forever. Uh, we sinned against him. He's holy, righteous, and just. So we can't live with him because we are sinful, but God has provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, and we receive it by a single condition, belief. Single condition, not a set of steps. One step, believe, and you will have life. John 5 24. This, is, this isn't my words. This isn't my version of the gospel. This is what the Bible says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. One condition, believe. Now you have to believe the right thing. You have to understand why you're believing, what you're believing, but if you have that down, the belief down, in the right Jesus, for the right reason, you have eternal life. Romans 3.28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. A man is justified by faith, apart from works, the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Paul making the point that Jews and Gentiles can be saved. Did he only die for Jews? Are they the only ones who can keep the law and be saved? That was never the intention of the law in the first place. No, of course not. People are now saved by faith, were saved by faith in the Old Testament, will be saved by faith in the tribulation and for 
all of time until this whole thing wraps up. People will be saved by faith apart from works. Verse 30 of Romans 3, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith is one. We are saved by faith in Christ and what he has done for us. John 20, wrapping up the gospel of John, uh, John 20 and verse 30, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. One single condition, just, just like as is laid out in the Psalms, one condition, God is our rock. We have salvation by resting our soul in silence in him alone. New Testament, exact same message, not two different books, Old Testament, New Testament, one book laying out one narrative. God created the world we as humanity have a real problem because he is holy, righteous, and just, and we are sinful. But God has made provision for us in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and we receive it by a single condition, trusting in him. And so you don't have to, uh, you don't have to do anything for her. Uh, for to receive that salvation other than trusting in him. You don't have to talk to me. If you have more questions, feel free to, to ask me questions about uh, salvation. You don't have to do that. You don't have to announce it to the world uh, in order to receive salvation. I think it's a good idea to tell people when you do, but that's not a requirement for salvation. You don't have to do anything other than trust in the provision that God has made for you in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Trust in that and that alone, and he will grant to you his righteousness and salvation. And that is what we are celebrating today in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these uh, very ancient texts that so clearly describe your death, burial, and resurrection uh, a thousand years before it even happened. Three thousand years before we are living today, this message is still so perfectly relevant for us because it is our number one problem in this world. It is, it is solved through this, uh, our number one problem. Our number one problem isn't uh, the president or who is, who's in the White House, who our representative is in Congress, what uh, is happening at the UN or, or in the college campuses. None of this is remotely uh, in competition with our number one problem as humans. That is the fact that we are sinful against you, a holy, just, and righteous God. But you're not just holy, just, and righteous. You are a loving God and long-suffering. And, and you love us as individuals and as a collective group. You loved us enough to come into this world and die for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that, you're, that you didn't just die. You're not just a martyr, but you are God. 
in human flesh who came back to life and are currently alive in heaven. And uh, we long for the day that we will see you face to face. We thank you for granting to us salvation by your grace through faith in Christ and what he did for us. And I just pray that this truth would affect us, not just today, but in for literally the rest of our lives that we would be uh, motivated to serve you with the time that we have. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.